Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map, and that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church, and when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Too many times we as Christians tend to forget that our sin does have consequences. Consequences defined as a result or effect of an action or condition. And frankly, as Christians, sometimes we can become so flippant about Christ dying for our sins and paying our debt that we fail to remember that even with all those wonderful blessings of salvation, our sin still has consequences. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their sin. Cain was cursed, the consequence of his sin. The people of Noah's generation died in the flood as a consequence of their sin. Lot lost his wife, lost most of his kids, lost the relationship with his daughters. Why? It was a consequence of his sin. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, something God never wanted them to do. Why? Because your sin has consequences. Saul, King Saul, his kingdom was taken away from him because your sin has consequences. My friend, we cannot forget our sin has consequences. The Bible says that no matter the sin no matter how private you think it is, no matter the deleted history, no matter the closed door, God knows. Numbers 32, verse 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Luke eight seventeen says, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Our sin does have consequences. Look, today's episode isn't going to be anything new. It's not going to be anything you don't know. It's not. Um, it's it's just going to be a a just a a reminder. And today, I wanted this episode to remind you that your sin has consequences. Look, from the very beginning, we said that we wanted Sandy Creek Stirrings, this podcast, to be a place where you could come and get something that would help you for your daily life. And I firmly believe that if you listen to the end of this episode, it can be a blessing to you today because we all need to be reminded that our sin does, in fact, have consequences. It will affect us. It will hurt us. And we must be very careful. 
because our sin has consequences. I think one of the saddest reminders in all of Scripture in regards to the subject we're talking about today comes from the man who was entitled as having the man who had a who the man after God's own heart. Of course, King David. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and you know the story. The Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in eventide that David arose from off his bed, and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. As we come to this story, we find that David sees this woman across the roof, and he sees her bathing, he sees her washing. Now, is it necessarily a sin to see that? No, sometimes you can't control that. I don't think he went up on his rooftop to go see if he could see any women. That wasn't his goal. He was going up there to get some fresh air, to relax, watch the sunset, and all of a sudden he sees this woman, and he has the chance to turn away. Gentlemen, when you are driving down the interstate and there is a billboard coming up and you see it, that's not necessarily wrong, but the second look determines whether or not that temptation becomes sin. Look away. Turn away. It's not worth it. Because at the end of it all, instead of him turning away, he ends up having an affair with this woman. And you know the rest of the story. David tries to cover up his sin because now she's pregnant. And so he brings her husband Uriah home from the battlefield and, and makes him drunk and says, Hey, why don't you go back to your house and, and uh, just have a good night's rest, you know, hoping that, you know, people will realize, Oh, Uriah came home and she's pregnant. You know, that's just natural. You know, her the husband and the wife, they're having a baby. You know, that's all, that, that all seems normal. He tried to do this twice. Uriah would not go back to his house. He said, I can't sleep in my own bed when, when my, my brothers of war are out there sleeping in tents in the field. He said, I can't do that. And so if you remember, David wrote that death warrant. Sent it in the hand of Uriah all the way back to Joab. Said, hey, put him in the hottest part of the war and then pull all the men away from him. And jo Joab did exactly that. When dead, when Uriah was dead, David called Bathsheba to be his wife to try and cover up his sin so nobody would know. And one day there comes a knock on the door, a firm, steady knock. The door opens up, and there stands the man of God. He's escorted into the presence of King David. His name was Nathan. I'll tell you what, when I read the story of Nathan, he has become one of my favorite Bible characters in many regards because of the just, mm, his willingness to confront things. And Nathan approaches David and he says, hey, I, I want to tell you a story. There was a, 
There was a rich man. He had thousands and thousands of sheep. Just when you looked on the fields, they were just white. There were so many sheep. And, and next door to him lived a very poor man who had one little lamb. But boy, did that, did that family love that little lamb. They would let that little lamb inside the house. They would feed that lamb from off the table. That lamb was like a part of their family. Oh, that they just loved that little lamb. And one day a visitor came along and he went to visit the rich man. And the rich man wanted to feed his visitor naturally. And so what did the rich man do? Instead of going to his fields that were filled with sheep, he went over and stole that little lamb from the poor man's house, killed it and ate it. David's anger comes forward and he says, Who is this man? Who did it? Who? I will have him killed. I have him executed. And Nathan looks at him with his just godly ferociousness and points his finger at him and says, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Why? Because David was the one who took that one little sheep. David had all the women he could ever want. I mean, if you, if you look at all the women he had for wives, he wasn't to Solomon's level, but we can see where Solomon got this idea of many wives from. And here, he goes and he takes the one lamb that Uriah loved. And sadly, David's life is going to turn onto a headspin because his sin has consequences. And look, there's many things that your sin will affect, not only within the story of David, as we'll see today, but within your life as well. I want you to remember, your sin will affect you the same way it affected David, because number one, sin will affect you. Sin will affect you. If you go all the way back to 2 Samuel, jump forward in time, 2 Samuel chapter 11, or chapter 12, I'm sorry, in verse number 11, the Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house. What a proclamation. He said, Look, I'm going to raise up evil against you, somebody from your own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Oh my goodness, what a proclamation by God. He said these things. God passed no light sentence on David. This was a serious thing. God told David, because of your sin, the enemies will blaspheme you. And sadly, sadly, there have been men within our generation, men of God who have done the wrong things, and the enemies have been able to blaspheme against God because of their action. Your sin will affect you. Not only will you have the consequence of it, but the guilt that comes from it, the change of spirit that'll come from it, you'll act different, you'll be different, because your sin has consequences and it will affect you. Not only that, but it will affect your spouse. It will affect your spouse. We go back to that same chapter, 2 Samuel 12, verse 24, the Bible says, And David comforted Bathsheba his wife. Bathsheba is, of course, in mourning because not only of the death of her husband— but then the death of somebody else we'll just talk about in a minute. But we see that she was affected so much that David had to go in and try and comfort her. She's distraught. She's weeping. Her whole world has changed. Her husband is gone, and we're about to reveal this in just a second, but her child has died. That little baby has died. Your sin affects your spouse. For instance, if a husband is addicted to Internet pornography, 
He'll begin to act different. He'll begin to do things differently. All the while, he'll be, act, he'll be acting more secretive. And the wife will all the time begin to wonder, what's going on? And when it's revealed, his sin, what he's been hiding, not only will it affect him, but now it'll affect his wife because now she's going to feel, well, I must not be pretty enough. I, I, I guess he just doesn't love me as enough. She, she may even feel like there's an affair going on all because of this hidden sin. Look at what Lot, moving his family closer to Sodom and Gomorrah, look at what it did to his wife. Look at what happened to Sapphira because of Ananias. Ananias. Remember, he was killed because they chose not to give the offering they promised to the Lord. And then because he led her that way, she was killed too. Look at what happened to, you fill in the blank, it's all throughout the Bible, it's all throughout life. Your spouse should be the last person you hide stuff from. The last person. It affects you, it affects your spouse, but I find it affects your children. We won't go there for sake of time, but 2 Samuel 12, verses 15 through 18, that little baby dies. The baby died. Your sin will affect your children. There's a, that famous phrase that goes around, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And while that's true, I've tended to add the phrase, if daddy's grumpy, everybody's grumpy, because I found that to be true as well. Maybe that's just me. But uh, you set the tone for your children. You set the tone for what their attitude should be. Your sin can cause them heartbreak and shame. Your sin can cause them to turn their back on God and fall out of church. Hey, I've, you say, is that so? Yes, it's so. I've seen so many children raised in a good Christian home, only to have their parents fail them, try to hide their sin, not worry about their sin having consequences, and now their children don't even care about the things of God. It'll affect you, it'll affect your spouse, it'll affect your children, it'll affect those under you. It was at this point within 2 Samuel you'll see a change in the victorious reign of King David. Things begin to collapse. You have the heinous death of Uriah. Right after this, you have the sin of Amnon and how he raped his sister and then how he was murdered by his brother and then the rise of Absalom and the revolt and Absalom's death and then civil war rises again and then David sins in numbering the people and I think it's 70,000 people die and then they are cursed. I mean, just this whole victorious reign, oh, King David has killed his ten thousands and it just crumbles all because of this sin. Your sin affects you. Your sin affects your spouse. Your sin affects your children. Your sin affects those under you. Then your sin affects your friends. Like who? If you go back and go back to the story, you'll read of a man by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was the counselor of King David. You know, your counselors are your closest friends. And when David needed counsel, other than going to the man of God, Nathan, or to the priests, Zadok and Abathar, this was the man he ran to for counsel. In fact, the Bible says this of Ahithophel's counsel, that his counsel was so good it was likened unto the word of God. For God to say that about you, my goodness, that's incredible. To say that your counsel is like the word of God. It says that in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 23, where the Bible says, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle 
of God. That's just incredible. He was obviously a very wise man, if God would say that about him. He was a man who who was very close to David, a man David entrusted with his life and his nation, because you don't counsel with people who you don't literally trust your life with. In fact, they list Ahithophel right along with David's mighty men in 1 Chronicles 27, verse 33, right along beside the name of my favorite mighty man from that passage, Benaiah, who you find um, just an incredible uh, mighty man. Ahithophel is listed, listed right in that list. And we find that within this story of David and his sin, and your sin has consequences, we find that Ahithophel turns against David. He literally turns the back on the man he has counseled for years and years. Ahithophel turns on David. When Absalom, when David's son Absalom rises in revolt, and by the way, this just wasn't an overnight thing. Absalom stood at that gate, the Bible says, for 40 years trying to turn the hearts of the people. And David finally had to flee Jerusalem for his life. Where do you find Ahithophel? Do you find him leaving or helping Absalom? 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 12 reveals that Ahithophel stays with Absalom. And in fact, when the men come from Jerusalem to report what's going on, they say that the hearts of Israel have turned to Absalom. But of all the people who turned, they say that the hearts of Israel, I mean this entire nation, they've turned to Absalom. But out of all those people of Israel, there's only one person they gave by name. Look at 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1531. The Bible says, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Out of all the nation of Israel, there's only one man they listed by name. Hey, Ahithophel is with him. And Ahithophel begins to counsel Absalom and and how to wickedly take over the kingdom and rip it from his father, this man who he used to be friends with. He counsels Absalom to do wickedness in the sight of all Israel, to to make David just be abhorred, to utterly stink before the people is what that word abhorred means. And in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 21 through 22, remember that prophecy that God gave? He said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be abhorred of the people. And remember how God said, there's going to be someone arise from your own house and turn against you. Well, Absalom checks off that box. He says he's going to take your wives and he's going to lie with them in the sight of all Israel. Do you know what Ahithophel counseled Absalom to do? He said, hey, why don't you take his wives that he left here and go lay with them on top of the kingdom? And that's what he did. Then Ahithophel begins to advise Absalom to let him go. Let Ahithophel go with some men and kill David. I mean, when you come to 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 1, that's what Ahithophel's counsel is. Just one book before 1 Samuel 17, King David was killing Goliath, but now Ahithophel, his close friend, is seeking to kill him. And if you remember the story, God intervenes and Absalom goes with the counsel of another who is for David, who is a spy, and Ahithophel, he realizes it's over, he saddles his steed, he goes home, He puts his house in order. It means to give charge. For example, he said, now guys, here's the will. 
Here's my life insurance policy. This is the password to the bank account. This is the money I was saving for my daughter's wedding. This was my son's college account. And he sets up everything. He sets his house in order. He goes and he hangs himself. Why? Why would such a close friend turn on somebody like that? To counsel somebody to be abhorred in their sight. That friend you used to have to say, you know what, I want him to be abhorred. I want him to utterly stink in the sight of the people. Why? How could that have happened? I think there's a few possible reasons. Maybe, maybe number one, maybe Ahithophel turned against David because of the possibility of a new leader. I mean, this guy was unlike David. Absalom was completely different. David was a strong leader. I mean, when he said to jump, people jumped and they asked how high. Absalom, on the other hand, was, you find in 2 Samuel 15, verse 5, when he was trying to steal the hearts of the people. And when people would go to bow to them, he would grab them and pull them up. And, and he'd say, no, 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 no. He'd say, let's just be friends. He would give them a, ha- a handshake instead of them bowing before them. He said, we're all equal, dude. I stand for what you stand for. Let's coexist. Look, parents run into this problem when they try to be their children's friend instead of their authority. Within the life of your children, you first have to be the authority. The friendship will come down the road. But they have to learn to obey. Because when something dangerous is about to happen, and you say, hey, friend, come over here. Let's play. No, when they're about to walk into the road and traffic's coming, you need to say, hey, come over here right now. Because there's a time to be authoritative. There's a time to build a friendship. I don't know, maybe Ahithophel turned on David because he thought, well, you know, I kind of like this leadership better. Maybe he turned on David because he thought he might get even better position. Maybe Absalom offered him some new position. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he gave up God's time-tested friend because of a new position. Hey, people have done it before. It's amazing what we give up as Christians for a new position. You say, what do you mean? Well, we cut and get called in to work uh, by our boss, and he brings us in the office and say, hey, I've got such a great thing. We want to promote you. We're going to give you a raise. We're going to give you a new title, and we're all excited. And he says, but you'll have to work at least two Sundays or three Sundays a month. Well, I, you know, I never worked Sundays before, but, you know, oh, man, I get that great position. And, oh, I'll get to move up the corporate ladder. And, oh, man, for sure, I'll do it. You know what you just gave up? You just gave up church because of a new position. Many people give up family time because of a new position. He would have done well. Ahithophel would have done well if he had recalled what David did when he was offered the chance to gain the kingship when Saul was still alive. David said, no, 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 I can't lift my hand against the anointed. God won't bless that. Ahithophel would have done well to remember that. But then maybe it was, these are all possibilities, maybe it was the possibility of new recognition. I mean, here would he would be the man who advised and counseled Absalom on how to take over the kingdom. The man who counseled David to have, uh, or counseled Absalom to have King David, I mean, the giant killer, how to kill him. The man who would be praised and worshipped by men who knew nothing of what they were, they were following. I mean, this was, maybe it was the possibility of new recognition, but I think above them all, I think it was a reality of something else. I think it was the reality of old revenge. 
You say old revenge. What are you talking about? I think Ahithophel wanted to knock off David because of old revenge. Allow me to read 2 Samuel 23, verse 34 to you. It says, Elithophilet, that's a tough name to pronounce, Eliphalet, the son of Ahasabai, the son of Machthite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Now, Ahithophel, when you go and read the story, he was Ahithophel the Gilanite. Notice who his son was. Eliam. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel the Gilanite. If you go back to 2 Samuel 11, verse 3, the Bible says, And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? You see, David, when he went and he took this woman, he was taking the granddaughter of his counselor. He was killing the grandson-in-law of his faithful counselor. And Ahithophel was bitter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That word defiled means to be tainted or contaminated morally. Here was a man, Ahithophel, who used to speak, and it was like the words of God, but now he's counseling Absalom to do the most vilest and wickedest things imaginable. What happened? A root of bitterness sprang up. Because your sin will affect your friends. And David, whether he realized it or not, was contaminating the very friendship of one of his closest counselors. And when David realizes the how his friend, how his counselor has now turned against him, David cries out in Psalm 41, verse 9. He says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. My known familiar friend. Christ, in fact, quotes that same passage in John 13, verses 18 through 19. My known familiar friend. Because your sin has consequences. Can I ask you in this episode, what sin are you not willing to give up? Men, what sin are you hiding on your computer? What sin are you hiding at work? What sin are you hiding in your bank account? What sin are you hiding in your email? What sin are you hiding in, a, in, a, in the guest room? What sin are you hiding? Ladies, what sin are you hiding in your heart? What sin are you hiding? Are you choosing not to have joy? Are you choosing to not be thankful? Are you choosing not to rejoice? Are you hiding something on the computer? Are you hiding something through deleted history? Teenagers out there, what are you hiding? Let me tell you this, it's not worth it. Don't hide it. Get it out. Get it in the open. Get rid of it because it will affect you. It'll affect your future spouse. Teenager, if you aren't married, the sin you're hiding right now will affect your future spouse. Your sin will affect your future children. Your sin will affect those under you, mom and dad. Your sin will affect your closest relationship, and it will affect your friends. Why? Because your sin has consequences. 
on that note as well, are you holding on to a bitterness of someone who wronged you so long ago? You say, well, they did this to me and I can never forgive them. No, 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 friend. Christ said, forgive them 70 times 7. To say an innumerable amount, saying, by the time you've done it that many times, it'll just be a habit to forgive. You must forgive because the Bible says if you don't forgive and you allow that bitterness to spring up in your heart, you will fail of the grace of God. It's not worth it. Give it up. You say, how will this episode help me today? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop. I want you to think. I want you to ask God and say, God, is there something I am trying to hide? And if I am, then I'm going to get it right today. You say, but if I, if I let it be known, it's going to hurt a lot of people. You're right, but if you wait any longer, it could do a lot more damage, so get it right now. You say, well, I don't know what my husband will think. I don't know what my wife will think. I don't know what my parents will think. It doesn't matter. Get it out in the open now because your sin will have worse consequences the longer you wait. Get it out in the open. Get rid of it because God promises forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will there still be some consequences? Sure. Yeah. But it's better to do it now than wait for the judgment of God to bring it out in the open. Friend, don't let sin get a foothold in your life. Get it right. Get it right now. Keep an open heart and a clean heart before God. And as you do, my friend, keep looking up, man. Keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.